so welcome everybody. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119 today because it's Psalm Sunday. I got some audible yays. This is great. This is great. Also, I got to say uh, what up to my mom and my mother-in-law who are both on the Zoom. I'll try not to embarrass you much. Try is the optimum word there. Um, but uh, yeah, so so be turning to Psalm 119. Um, so I'm going to, uh, you know, sometimes when you're doing like, you know, speaking of any sort, whether it's, you know, you're putting together a sermon or uh, you're just telling a story, like you're kind of working towards like a particular like goal or statement or phrase, and you're not playing coy, you're not playing cute, but you're being very strategic about when that is kind of given out. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like uh, if you're telling a joke, the punchline of a joke, you don't tell it up front. You kind of wait for it. And sometimes, you know, messages can kind of get that way. This is not that. Uh, that's why what you need to take away is that we are servants and strangers. So uh, actually, it's kind of neat. If you are sending an email in the, in the military, you'll hear something uh, sometimes called a bluff or bottom line up front, which is just like, what's this thing about? What's this communication about? It's very, you know, armed forces-esque. Uh, you are servants and strangers. That's the bottom line up front. If you don't hear anything else, you need to hear that. Uh, I was telling Dell that when I started, you know, studying for this, uh, it was earlier uh, in this week. And then we had like a whole, you know, year of crazy things that happened over the course of this week. Like I thought that, you know, 2021, I didn't think it was going to be a savior year or anything. It's not Jesus, but I thought like maybe it'd slow up his pace. Nope. 2020 and 2021 are related. <laughs> they are related. So uh, this is, um, man, it's, uh, it's been very interesting. So this is going to be a, a little bit more topical uh, than we normally would, would get to, and I'm okay with that. So I'm going to pray again really quickly because uh, we need God's help today, especially. Is that cool? All right. So, Lord, we're going to be getting into your word. And, uh, man, I feel our country sounds like that. It's just crazy, man. This it's really, really uh, it's really weird to be living through history. So, God, we just want to uh, surrender, Lord, to you and just say that we trust you. And God, uh, man, I don't know how people are going to process, you know, uh, today, Lord, but God, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I know you and I know that you've got everything, Lord. And I don't say that as some, you know, dismissive show of whatever. Lord, I believe it. God, I believe that uh, we can hope and we can trust in you. So God, help us to hear your word clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Psalm 119. Uh, as you are familiar, we're going through the book of Psalms right now. And uh, uh, we've been going uh, kind of section by section. Uh, we're looking at um, uh, Gimel today, which is the, the, the third section, uh, and so I'm going to read it starting in verse 17. It says, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath into thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I've kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies 
are my delight and my counselors. And so uh, all of this is great, man. There's not, it turns out there's not a bad verse in this bunch, uh, but I couldn't get out of like the first three. Like I was stuck there. So you guys are stuck there too. So if you really want an expositional look at the rest of Psalms, uh, well, then you know where your homework's at. Um, but the thing that I could not get away from, look at what it says in verses 17 and verses 23, deal bountifully with thy servant. Princes also did speak, in, speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statues. I couldn't get away from our identity as servants. Couldn't get away from that. Our identity as servants. And this is incredibly important uh, because um, the psalmist, as we're looking at this, uh, is not being, you know, they're not having their arm twisted. They're not saying like, ah, I guess, Lord, I guess I'll be your servant. He says, deal bountifully with thy servant. This is a, a self-proclaimed position. And this has a lot of implications for how we should be as Christians. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live. So there is definitely a deference here. And if you know your Bible, well, then you know exactly scripturally why this could be. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But not only that I may live, but that he may keep his word as well deal well with me that I have breath and also that I can keep your word. We need God simply to live and we need God uh, and we need to keep his word. So this idea of them being a servant is self-imposed. And in light of who God actually is, how could it be any other way? How could it be any other way? Uh, one thing that I highly recommend that you do, I do this often, is uh, when you find a particular verse that gets you hype, you need to just like know where it is and go to it. Uh, this is just, it's good in general, but I, I like epic things, y'all. And the Bible has some very epic phrases about who the Lord is. Uh, take a look at what it says in Colossians 1, chapter 16 through 17. It says, for by him were all things created. Do we have that up here? For, go one more slide. I want to make sure that we see all this. Perfect. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And I do not have time to get into the cool sci-fi implications of what the hey-ho that means, but it gets me very excited to think about what must that be like, the God that holds all of space, time, eternity together simply because he wills it so. We don't have time for that. It's pretty neat though. But if, but if all things were created by him and all things were created for him, then what other position could we have biblically but as a servant? It shouldn't be an option in your mind of if you want to serve God or not. You should simply recognize that that is what you were created to be, period, full stop. So if by some off chance you have problem with that language, uh, fix your brain, man. We're servants, right? This is not a bad thing. And the other thing that we have to recognize is that everyone is a servant. Everyone is serving something right? By and large, I would guess that most of the people in this room 
have a relationship with Christ, but I don't want to assume, and you need to know that if you're in this room today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're a servant too. You just don't know who your master is and also your master hates you. You should know that. Romans 16, 17 and 18 says this, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Past tense for those of us that are not anymore. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The gospel of Jesus Christ sheds light on our actual position as servants of sin, hopelessly bound and destined for an eternity separated from God. But God, in his great kindness, sent his son to die on a cross for us. We didn't deserve it. We're unworthy of it. And he did it anyway. And in him delivering us, we become now the servants of Christ. And as we see in the passage, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That's amazing. We are servants of righteousness, servants of Christ. You've got to be a servant. You might as well have a good master, right? So we are servants of Christ. And to that end, I want us to uh, take a look at an example of a good servant. So be turning uh, in your Bible to, to Genesis chapter 24. Be turning in your Bible to Genesis chapter 24. And uh, I'm not going to have this up on the screen. This is our visual indication that you need to be turning in your Bibles. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a passage here that I think is going to do very, very well to help us uh, in examining uh, some of the qualities of a good servant, right? And so in this passage, uh, we're looking at a man named Abraham, and we'll see here in the first verse that he's a little old, and yet Abraham's promised son, Isaac, man, he needs him a wife. And Abraham's got some pretty specific instructions for how this wife is to be procured, but he's old. And so he's going to send his servant to do the work. Okay. And there are a couple of key things, man, just reading through this passage that were good and practical to take away. So if you are taking notes today, we're going to look at five really key practical things that make up a good servant. And then over the course of today, we're going to ask two key questions. These are questions that you uh, are going to hear answer them in your brain. Don't yell them out loud. Don't like, don't spill the tea on your own self. Okay. Is that, is that cool? Spill the tea. Is that, is that relatively newish? No. Is there another one that I can use that I don't know? Okay. I'll keep going. Justin, Justin's looking like, see, Justin's a friend because he's like, oh, Van, you sad man. But also his eyes said, Hey, let's chat later if you want. And I'll give you some cool hip slang. Cool. Appreciate it. All right, so let's take a look at Genesis chapter 24. Thank you, Justin. All right, listen to what it says in verse 1. And Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, by the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son, Isaac. So here we have everything that we need to know, right? And uh, here's one of the first kind of key practical things that we need to take away is that servants are, uh, servants tasks are assigned, not chosen. 
The servant's task is assigned, not chosen. And so uh, let me just say that I don't know what this servant's day happened to be structured like, right? Uh, but I bet when he woke up in the morning, uh, maybe he didn't think that he'd be putting his hand under some old dude's thigh by the end of it. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know if he had that on his agenda, but that's where his life is going, okay? So a servant's task is assigned, not chosen. And then take a look at what it says in verse five. And the servant said unto him, peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. What happens? What if it happens that when I go and I talk to this young lady who I find, she's like, nah, I'm good. Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring my son again unto the land for whence thou camest? And here we see something very, very simple. There's a question that's asked, but the second quality of a good servant I want you to uh, take a look at is that the servant, servants ask questions to understand their tasks, not undermine their master. This question actually pertains to the mission, to the task that the servant is being given. And the servant has a valid question, right? They want to know, hey, uh, what happens if she doesn't come with me? Valid question. Could you imagine, ladies, that are not yet spoken for? If uh, some dude just randomly said, hey, I've traveled a long way. Do you want to marry a dude? He's that way. <laughs> I think the servant's got a valid question. What do you want me to do if this doesn't work out, right? And I want you to hear the response, right? Take a look at verse six. And Abraham said unto him, beware thou that, uh, beware thou that, that, that thou bring not my son thither again, the Lord, God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow me, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. He asks a question. He gets an answer. It's very interesting that questions in the Bible are answered oftentimes, uh, at least by godly men, uh, in the manner and the heart attitude in which the question was asked. Go look at how Jesus answered dumb questions. It's great. It's like a, it's like a verbal backslap <laughs> that sends people to the moon, right? Marcus is laughing. He's like, yeah, Jesus was pretty cheeky. If you, man, if you come to him, come correct. Ask sincere questions. Abraham gives a sincere answer because he knows the heart of his servant. The servant wants to complete the task. He's asking for clarity. So let me tell him exactly what's going to happen. Some of us are afraid to ask the Lord questions about things that the Lord has given us to do out of some weird, man, just come with the right heart attitude, right? Just come with the right heart attitude. And so verse 10, and the servant, or verse 9 rather, and the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear unto him concerning the matter. So the servant's like, yep, let's get her done, right? So what we're going to see in verse 10 is that the servant grabs some camels, grabs some goods, and he sets out on a journey. Uh, the quest begins. Uh, take a look at verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city. So he comes to the city named Nahor, makes the camels to kneel down without the city. Uh, by the well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. So he, he gets to the city 
and uh, the well is outside of the city. Camels need some water. And so in verse 12, it says, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. And what we're going to find is that uh, the servant prays and he's like, hey, I don't know who this person is. And so uh, if it's, man, if this is the right lady, I want to say something and I want to hear her say something. And that's going to be the confirmation that this is the person, right? That's what we see in verse 13. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw the water and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give you thy camels. I won't do that the whole time. Also, let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, right? So really, really simple. But I want you to notice the heart attitude in verse 12, which says this. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. The third thing I want you to see is that servants desire the successful completion of their task for their master's sake. For their master's sake. This isn't, hey, Lord, please let this lady show up quick so I can go home. <laughs> that wasn't it. Lord, please let me be successful because if I'm successful, then my master is successful. You guys see that there? So if we continue on in the story, what we're going to find is that uh, uh, Rebecca comes up and she meets all the criteria. He's like, yo, can I get a drink? And she's like, yeah, you get a drink. Let's get the camels a drink too. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're the one. He gets really, really excited. Uh, man, whatever version I'm quoting, don't read it. Uh, actually read the word here. But uh, he gets really excited. Uh, Laban, Rebecca's brother, comes out and is like, yo, what's the hullabaloo? Because he's bestowed to her gifts and whatnot. And Laban's like, yo, man, come to dinner. Let's, let's chat. Let's talk. Let's see what's up. So I want you to fast forward a little bit to uh, verse uh, 30. Uh, actually, verse 29, a little bit more context, better, maybe better than I did. And Rebecca had a brother, his name was Laban, and Laban ran out under the well, under the man under the well, and it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels who come home. Come with me. Let's chat. Verse 32. And the man, the servant, came into the house and he ungirdled his camels and he gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat. This is the good part. He's had a long day. His camels are watered. Uh, but man, this dude is hungry. But he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. I will not eat until I've told mine errand. The fourth thing I want us to see is that servants prioritize the task assigned to them over their own needs. I don't know about you, but when I discovered that there was a word called hangry, I said, this is what accurately describes me a lot of my life. Just hangry. I need to eat. And I bet this servant does too. But he's like, nope, I've got stuff to tell you. And so Laban, at the end of verse 33, says, and he said, speak on. What do you have to say to me? Verse 34, and he said, I am Abraham's servant. I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord had blessed my master greatly 
and he is become great and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses and Sarah my master's wife bare a son to my master when she was old and unto the, him hath he given all that he hath and my masters goes on and on and on number five the thing I want you to see is that servants do not need recognition what is this servant's name I have no idea I really don't Right now, we can maybe do some guessing, right? Uh, if we go back a couple of chapters, there is a servant that Abraham has, Eleazar of Damascus. It could be that guy, but the text doesn't give him a name because his name is not important. The name of his master is important because a servant doesn't need recognition. Does this make sense? So here's what I want you to think about in terms of us being servants of Christ. The terms of the mission that God has given us are not up to debate because servants tasks are assigned, not chosen. You don't get to choose. I don't get to choose what the mission of God in our life is. He has chosen. We are to obey. Simply. Also, we must realize that we can seek and must seek the Lord for instruction in the mission. He's okay with questions, not to doubting. But for clarification, he's good with that. And so maybe a question that you need to be asking yourself this week is, Lord, you've given me the mission to preach Christ and make disciples, but also there's COVID. So it's really hard to do that. How should I accomplish the mission in light of my circumstances is a very different question than why can't I just sit this one out? Very different. We must pray for the mission and for God to be glorified because servants desire the successful completion of the task for their master's sake. We need to be prayerful about the mission that God has given and entrusted us with. We must prioritize the mission over our needs and our comforts because servants prioritize the assigned task over their own needs. And we are not building a name for ourselves. God must receive the glory because servants don't need recognition. We are servants, and we have a very particular manner in which we are to act, and it's biblically defined, and it's good. This is a good thing. This isn't, the servant's not complaining. He's not. So a question, key question number one, does your life reflect your biblical identity of a servant? In the day-to-day -day tasks of your life, if someone were to lay them out, Outside of you explaining, outside of you saying, hey, so like what happened was, like if you take that off the table and just laid it out, it's just data. At uh, 8.34, this is the event that happened. At 8.37, this is the event that happened. At 9.15, this is the event that happened. If you had a time-stamped uh, old-school dot matrix printout, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, my peoples. If I had mentioned that in D2, which is mostly Kaya folks, they would have said, uh, is, is that a superhero dot matrix? <laughs> okay. Man, I'm feeling so good that that hit, y'all. So good. So this is the first thing that we see. With our remaining time, I want to talk about uh, our second identity that we see here as strangers, right? Our identity as strangers. Psalm 19, uh, Psalm 119, verse 19 says, I am a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. 
I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. It's very interesting that the first mention uh, of the word strangers is found in Genesis 15.3. And for a little bit of context, this is a couple of chapters, obviously, before Genesis 24. In the Genesis 15, uh, verse 3, what's happening is that Abraham is, is basically asking the Lord, who he's received a promise from about Isaac, this child that will come. He's asking, hey, so like, is that thing going to come to pass? Like, what's up with that? And he does it really respectfully. He's not cavalier, right? And God's like, hey, just so you know, I still got you. Uh, we're going to make this happen. Uh, but he gives a specific prophecy about the nation that's going to come out of Abraham about their bondage in Egypt. And he says something very interesting, Genesis 15, 3. And he said unto Abram, who was Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. For those of you that may be new to Bible study, whenever you see the first mention of a particular word in the Bible, oftentimes that first mention sets the parameters for how we're gonna define that word throughout scripture. And so the very first time that we see strangers is talking about a chosen people who are in a particular place, the land of Egypt, and that is not their land. I wonder if anyone has an idea of what Egypt might be a picture of in our Bible. And might it have any correlation with how we are to act and who we are as strangers? I wonder. From scripture, it is clear that the life of a stranger is transient in nature. Don't get too comfortable. It's transient. And as the nation of Israel was a stranger in the land of Egypt, so is the Christian to be a stranger in the earth. The whole earth, no matter where you go, right? I am a stranger in the earth, not I am a stranger in North America or this continent or this county or this state. I am a stranger in the earth. And uh, you are in good company. Go read. Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find that you're in good company with people that simply believed God. And if you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 11 and get to verses 13 and 16, it says this, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They saw something the Lord God showed them and they said, yo, that's pretty tight. That's also a 90s reference, tight. I'm bringing it back unironically, okay? <laughs> Guys, yes, take this journey with me, okay? Just a little bit. Man, what was it? Like, okay, this, this is like my only sidebar and it's not, a, it's not like a, a, a nerdy sidebar so you know that like it's important here. Like some Gen Zer the other day tried to like take uh, 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 credit for bet, like the, like, Oh yeah, I bet. I was like, nah, nah, mm-mm. Okay, again, y'all are my peoples. This is, this is great. So they confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for they that say such things, these weirdos, these strangers, these pilgrims, declare plainly that they seek a country. They have their eyes on something that is different than where they came from. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they focused their attention on that, they might have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better country. 
that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We need to desire a better country. Uh, now, let me be very, very clear here. I'm not making uh, any political statements. I'm making observations. Okay? You guys cool with that? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, we saw, uh, man, a really nuts news cycle. We saw a whole bunch of people storm a Capitol building. Right? Uh, now, however you feel about the actions that they took, what I think motivated them is a hope in this country. I think that's their motivation. Because why else would you do what they did? Again, I don't care how you feel about it, but I think that there was a hope in this country. I don't want to hope in this country. I just don't want to do it. In fact, I heard something very, very interesting. Uh, so this is a couple of days before the whole capital craziness. Um, there was a... Uh, uh, there was a, a prayer in Congress by Emmanuel Cleaver. Did you guys hear about this? Where he ended the prayer, amen and a woman. And guys, it's, it's just, it, it's silly because what, of what amen means. But I found it very interesting that uh, that's what people focused on. Uh, did, anybody he, did anybody listen to the actual prayer? Let me read you an excerpt. Now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance on us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O Lord, peace even in this chamber now and forevermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Amen and a woman and you want this country, good luck. Can you imagine the audacity of using the Lord's words to pray to idols? Because I can't. I seek a better country. I'm okay with being a stranger. Now let me be very clear. I don't hate our country. This is not a death to America speech. If you're hearing that, you're hearing it wrong. I just realize that my life here is transient in nature and temporary in nature. And so I'm gonna treat it that way. I'm gonna use the rights and privileges afforded to me to do as much kingdom work as possible. And I'm not gonna invest my time and energy in things that don't fall out to God's glory. And by the way, people on both sides of the aisle came up to Emmanuel Cleaver, quote, after I prayed, Republicans and Democrats alike were coming up to me saying, thank you for the prayer, we needed it. We need somebody to talk to God about helping us to get together. I want a better country, y'all. Does that make sense? You guys hear what I'm saying? So you can be political as long as you have a biblically-based political position. Let me help you with that. First Peter 2.9, but ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, Sam talked about last week, a peculiar people. You actually have a nation. You actually have an identity, a political identity, a governmental identity that is different than the place that you now reside. 
you actually do. You know, I think it's very interesting. If you take a look at Second uh, Corinthians 5.20, Ephesians 6.20, there's this, there's this thing that's used that they use here, uh, ambassadors to Christ, right? Second Corinthians 5.20, now we, now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech us by you, beseech you by us. Uh, we pray you in Christ's stead, you be reconciled to God. Ephesians 6.20, Paul writing for which I am an ambassador in bonds. And you know, I love our King James Bible. I love it because it sounds epic. And that sounds epic. And I'm sure that you guys have heard this verse a lot and we get it, right? Okay, cool. We're representatives of Christ. But I think that we miss, and especially right now, we miss something very, very important. It's important to note that this title of an ambassador actually conveys a specific position. And there are some things with that position that are just a given that we assume. Let me give to you uh, Webster, Dif Webster Dictionary's definition of an ambassador. Read this with me. Uh, a, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or own or his or her own government or sovereign or appointed listen to this for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment you guys have a government job already <laughs> you do and you represent that government because you're a citizen of that country of that nation so man, that's cool if you like the ice cream here. That's fine, foods, frozen custard is great. I'm very thankful to live in America and to have Brookside and to have foods frozen custard. It's the best vanilla that a person can put in their mouth. If you don't have that opinion, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Uh, we can talk about it later. It's really good vanilla. I can like that and there's nothing wrong with that, but man, let's not get it twisted. We are ambassadors, which means that we represent a different government altogether. Man, Paul was, Paul got really saved. He was also a Roman citizen. Our understanding of our position of being in the world, but not of it, should change every aspect of how we view this current moment and every one after. As born again believers, we have dual citizenship. So a key question for you is what citizenship matters most to you? If you're traveling around and you pull out a passport, which one is it? Who do you wanna be known as? If you put your hope in this country to fix your problems, well, then you're gonna to come to some really interesting conclusions and they're probably not gonna be biblical. Now, if you do what you're commanded to do and put your hope in Christ and pray for this country, well, then I think we can get somewhere. I think God can do something with that. So, if we are servants and we go where we're sent and we're strangers, so we know that our life is transient, what do we need? Like what's important for us on this journey? And uh, let me submit to you, it is snacks. If you don't agree with me, then travel with kids and you'll know how true of a statement that is. I have a backpack that I purchased uh, that is carry-on size so I can take it everywhere. And it's got a hip belt that I did not want to get originally but my sister was like man you're old so get a hip belt and I was like bet that's what I told her <laughs> so I got my hip belt and in both hip belts they have little pockets it's really great and I got snacks in the pocket oh man 
traveling with me is great. When someone's like this and they do that face that like I'm getting hangry face, out comes a cliff bar, man, they're good. And kiddos too, man, you just, you need to have snacks. You need provision for your journey, right? What we need to understand is that because we are strangers on a journey, we need to make sure that we take the appropriate provisions. And by comparing scripture with scripture, we know that God's word is our spiritual nourishment. You're on a spiritual journey and you ain't got no spiritual snacks. What are you thinking? That's a dumb move. And I'll call it that. That's not smart. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. They get fed before the journey, on the way to the journey. You can eat while you're walking. It's okay. We need spiritual food. What we see clearly in this psalm is that the psalmist's strong desire is for God's word, right? Take a look back at Psalm 119, 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of my law. Over and over and over again. I am a stranger in this earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. There is a desperation for the word of God. And is it any wonder that this servant, us as servants who are on a spiritual journey, need to eat? You can go hungry if you want to. I'm not going to do it. And if I know that the strange land that I am in, being a stranger, doesn't have the same customs, there's something, y'all, there's just some good about a home-cooked meal. There's some real good about a home-cooked meal, right? Uh, man, Megan and I were traveling recently, and, you know, we got you know, Chick-fil-A and stuff on the way. And that's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. I'm actually, I've had a lot of Chick-fil-A in like in the past year. I, I, I can take a break for a while. Also, it's fried food, so it's not great for you. They try and play it up like it's like, oh, it's Chick-fil-A. It's fried chicken, you know, it's not. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't that dope. But uh, no, nah, it's not home cooking. You know what I mean? We need some spiritual home cooking. We need food that comes from heaven. Do you ever think about that? The nation of Israel is traveling through a wilderness. If you go and read the passage, their clothes, their raiment didn't wax old. Guys, I blow out a pair of Levi's in like three months, man. They're done. And these guys' clothes are good. And bread literally fell from heaven. What do you think that's a picture of? That's what we need, y'all. So if we want to have a successful tenure during our time here on this planet, we cannot do so without the nourishment that comes from God's word. And if you need help with that, man, it's really simple. Psalm 119, 18, open thou mine eyes. Open thou mine eyes. The Lord actually wants you to know his word. You just got to ask him. There are some of us in here that are intimidated by God's word. Man, how could I understand that? You could if you know that the Lord wants you to understand that. He wants you to. And this is very encouraging for me. It should be encouraging for you. Did you know that even though the world looks like it's about to blow up at any moment, that we can have the right perspective that says, no matter what, my home is in heaven and the God that sent me hasn't left me or forsaken me. This should instill peace 
and confidence. Now, have your emotions, process them however you want. But uh, if your emotions are ruling your life, then I bet the word of God is not. Let's just simply go to God's word. So our closing thought, embracing our identities as servants and strangers will cause us to focus on the gospel mission, the only mission, the mission that's been given to us and make us desperate for the Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And uh, man, if you're here today and you don't know who Christ is, then we need to talk afterwards because you're a servant of sin is what the Bible tells you. And if you are here today and you do know Christ, but man, you are acting in such a way that does not rest in the power of his promises and his provisions, then we also need to chat. We've got faithful men and women that can chat with you no matter what. So let's do that. Don't leave here if you're not well. Don't leave here if you're spiritually malnourished. You guys hear what I'm saying? All right, so let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you, man, that I can have confidence, God. Lord, man, our nation's in a weird way. There's a lot of people upset. And uh, God, the mission that you've given us hasn't changed because the circumstances seem to be escalating. Lord, you want all men everywhere to be saved. And God, this journey that you sent us on to go into the world, to be in the world and not of the world, Lord. God, we need you. We need the understanding that we need to be obedient to what you've told us. We need the understanding that we shouldn't get too comfortable, Lord. And we also need the understanding that your word is going to be the manner and means by which we can accomplish anything for you. But God, also, Lord, what a great comfort it is to simply be able to open your book and know that we hear from you. Anytime that we want to, we can hear from the God of heaven by whom all things consist. Planets, stars, atoms, everything. God, you made it all. And if for some reason you just forgot to keep it together, it wouldn't be. Lord, what we want is to have a personal time with you from which we can be encouraged, Lord from which we can be edified, God. And then from that place, that foundation that's built upon your word, we can stand confidently and boldly and be a light, Lord. There's a lot of darkness right now. What we need is to be able to say, truthfully, that there's a better country. Lord, would you help us to see that in Jesus' name? Amen.